Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to The Communicators on the Keys 107 Network with your host, Brother Leroy, on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the first-class citizens of the world. We thank the Most High for blessing us with another day on this good earth, another day to do some good deeds for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, and for humanity. Trying to do as many good deeds a day brings you tenfold per good deed, so you're never wasting the effort to smile and give your own self a confirmation and affirmation and give those around you, in particular your family. Always give your children pat on the back confirmation that they are special, that there's greatness in them. Do the same for your mate. Let them know that they're appreciated, that there's greatness in them. Even if they may be laying around the house, let them know there's greatness in them. That might touch the God in them and get them up from laying around the house. Ladies and gentlemen, our program here on the Keys 107 Network is set up to be a classroom, presenting you information that in many cases is not coming through on the so-called mainstream media. And we cover a number and variety of subjects here, even book reviews. Tonight we have the benefit of interviewing for the third time husband and wife team who were present in Libya, who were business people dealing in Libya and were caught up during the time of the NATO invasion. And they are one of the few voices that we have been exposed to who openly let the world know, the world that is open to them know, that there is and has been indeed a slaughter of blacks in Libya. Now, the blacks in Libya are not the only casualties. We'll get into that this evening. The areas that we're going to cover is the slaughter of black Libyans and Africans who were uh, stationed in Libya as workers, etc., during and after the NATO invasion. Two, how Libya over the over the overthrow of Libya ties into what's going on in Syria, and the growing opposition to the elements in Libya who have taken over after the murder of Gaddafi. In addition, they will provide us with insight on what's going on in Egypt, that which is not necessarily in the news, you have to dig for it, what's going on in Libya and in Tunisia. Do we have Jim and Joanne on the line? Okay, I'm waiting for Jim and Joanne to come through. Once again, this is the Keys 107 Network. I'm Brother Leroy, and we encourage you to... Do we have Jim and Joanne on the line yet? We're right here. Can you hear us? Okay, very good. I can hear you. Jim and Joanne, I I introduced the fact that you would be sharing with us the experience of witnessing some of the slaughter of black Libyans and also Africans visiting Africans during and after the NATO invasion of Libya, and also how the Libya 
uh, the overflow of the Libyan government under Gaddafi connects to Syria, what's going on now in Syria, the growing opposition to the elements in Libya who have taken over after the murder of Gaddafi, and some background as to what's going on in Egypt and in Tunisia as the media is reporting huge uh, millions of people coming out in Egypt and uh, what really is going on there that you are getting from your connections in that part of the world. So you can take any part and begin to proceed, you and your wife. And want to thank you for joining us and thank you for your work in getting this information out to the publics that are open to you. Well, Reverend Leroy, first of all, let me thank you and your audience for giving us the time to share this information. And, of course, we would like everybody to, to join hands with us and pray for all the folks that are that are being really uh, brutalized and murdered and, and uh, destroyed by these evil forces. And, uh, you know, as you said, Joanne and I were, were actually trapped in Tripoli during the the NATO revolution. They call it a, a, a revolution, but it was really a coup d'etat to take over that country. And we were there for 100 days, all May through the summer, and we were actually captured by al-Qaeda at the end of that summer and taken their torture center. And we were guilty of, of uh, telling the Libyan people that they deserved to to have their own, uh, select their own government. You know, we were we were absolutely guilty of that, and and uh, we were guilty of witnessing all the war crimes and genocide committed by the hired mercenaries of the UN and NATO in Libya. We were absolutely guilty of that, you know, and we were we were guilty of being captured by Al Qaeda and sentenced to death. And you know, God stepped forward and saved our lives with three miracles, and those were modern day miracles, real things that that uh, the intelligence agencies that have talked to us, they said nobody gets gets away from al-Qaeda, you know, and and uh, we're now targeted individuals by the U.S. government because they've been, because we've been speaking out about these atrocities. And the last thing is, you know, we demand that the genocide of blacks by al-Qaeda all over the world stop. That's unacceptable for the al-Qaeda Muslim Brotherhood and these other entities you know, they put the word Muslim in their name, but they have nothing to do with the Muslim religion at all. Joanne and I are both Catholic, but I can promise you that, that by uh, Muslims all over the world, we're greeted, we're, we're welcomed. The Muslims believe that if you pray back on a book, it's okay. Anybody that says anything other than that's not, not following the, the Muslim Quran. And the atrocities and the... the uh, murder and attempted eliminate Libyans by these Al-Qaeda and Sar al people that, that don't speak their language anyhow and I guess our unintelligence agencies in the United States fall for, fall for all those tricks but we were there and we witnessed these things with our own eyes and are or were in Libya, 30 to 35% of the population was black. They had Libyan passports. They were born in Libya. They'd been there for hundreds of years. In every family in Libya, you saw black, beige, brown, all mixed together. It was the most colorblind country you've ever seen. And it was beautiful. You saw 
saw a beautiful rainbow of colors in every family. And uh, about the second week of this NATO overthrow of that government, NATO hired these psychopathic murderers that call themselves Al-Qaeda and everything else. They hired them, paid them every month about $2,500 to keep killing people. And the second week they made a declaration that nobody, of course, published over here. You didn't hear it at all that said that they were going to cleanse the country of Libya of all the blacks. And they said that these blacks were were mercenaries that Gaddafi had brought into the country to fight the wars for him. That was just not true. These were Libyan blacks. Now, there were a lot of black folks from Africa that worked in Libya because Gaddafi opened his arms to Africa. He said many, many, many times that he was an African, he was not an Arab. And he said that the parts of the Quran that were added by the Ayatollah Khomeini and these other people were not the word of the prophet, and he didn't allow them to be preached or taught in, in Libya. And so a fatwa was put out against him uh, by the, the radical Muslims in the world. For 20 years, they had a death warrant out for him. And, you know, the, the sad thing is these people are psychopaths. They have, you know, they're the spawn of the devil as far as I'm concerned. They have no touch with reality. They're not part of the human race. They kill anybody and everybody. And, you know, we, we saw a terrible, terrible video Saturday, where they had three Coptic Christian priests lined up there on the ground. They had hundreds of people around, including children. They were all videotaping it, and they cut the heads off these three Coptic priests because they were uh, had the audacity to preach some other religion other than than their radical Islam. And this was in the in in Syria, where where the United States has sent another 250. Uh, million dollars over there to support these guys killing people. Uh, we saw another video last week where a young baby, three years old, was chained to a fence, and they killed her her parents in front of her eyes because they were not radical Islamists. And uh, you know these are these are things that are hard to see. They're very very hard to understand. They're trying to you know all of us. Reverend Leroy, you and your audience and all the rest of us, we've got to join hands and we've got to pray together and live together and love together because there's just too much um, negativity out there. The devil's got a real hold on us, and and, uh, we need to fight that. And uh, it's very, very hard for us. We knew a lot of of Libyans and people in in Egypt, and, and the Muslim Brotherhood is not Muslim. It's radical. And in Egypt, they've had their fill of it. And uh, there have been 23 million people that signed the the decree to throw Morsi and the, and the radical Muslim Brotherhood out of Egypt. There were only 12 million people who voted for him, if that many. And he's still trying to stay there. And But the military's joined the people there. If you look at any pictures in Cairo... Uh, there are four, five, six million people that have stayed in the streets, and they have not left for four days now. And they're not going to leave until Morsi and his whole crowd of radical Islamist psychopathic murders are gone. Their country is destroyed. You know, they were Egypt was a poor country, still is. And the only thing that generated money for them was their tourist industry. Right. And right. about I don't know how many. Dr. Leroy, I don't know if it was 20 million, 30 million, 40 million people a year 
went to see those little pointy buildings, you know, and 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 look at all that rare history that nowhere in the world does that exist except in Egypt. Well, there's no tourism anymore, and you know they they've had an attack on Coptic Christians in in Egypt going on for a long time, and there've been reports about that, not in the media over here, but in other media they do that, and. Uh, uh, Libya, the thing that I'm going to go back to about Libya is it was it was a moderate Muslim country. They any religion practiced there and and you were not harassed and you didn't have you weren't given trouble and and if you were a, if you were a Catholic or a Jew or anybody in Libya and you were hungry, you could go to the government uh storehouses and they would give you food. They would give you 50 kilos of rice and 50 kilos of flour and 20 kilos of cheese and a bunch of powdered milk and eggs and money to buy some meat. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask you for an ID. They didn't ask you who you were or what religion you were or anything. They gave it to you because the difference in, in Libya, and a lot of people say, well, that's socialism. Let me tell you the difference in Libya. The government of Libya made a heck of a lot of money from their oil and gas business and they only spent about half of it, but they spread out the rest of that money with their people. So the difference in the Libyan government and their kind of socialism and what's going on here in the United States is that the government here wants to take money out of your pocket and give it to somebody else. In Libya, mm-hmm. the government took money out of their own pocket and gave it to the people. A lot of difference. Mm-hmm. Lot of difference. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Jim, let's go back to what's going on in Egypt. What are your people telling you? And identify your people in terms of the, uh, the Libyan tribes. They're connected. This, this is me, Reverend Leroy. This is Joanne. Yes. Um, how are you tonight? I'm excellent, and thank you for joining us, Joanne. Sure, sure. It's my pleasure, and thank you for having us. Um, regarding Egypt, what's happening there is the Libyan tribes and the Egyptian tribes, and actually the Tunisian tribes, are all working together to clean North Africa. All three of those countries were basically lied about, taken over against their against the will of the populace, and put in the hands of radical Islamists and extremists. And the Egyptian people were the first to start, as agreed by all these tribes, because they're the biggest populated country, and they have the most power to absolutely stand in the streets and remove these radicals from power. Uh, Morrissey, the president there, is uh, a member of the Muslim Brotherhood and has broken his oath, if you will, to the people that elected him and changed the Constitution, changed what he was going to do, and actually ruined the country for tourism and a whole lot of things, trying to uh, impose Sharia law, women can't be on the streets, uh, they've killed Coptic Christians. They've killed other people that they don't like. So the Egyptians are not radical people. They're not radical Islamists. The, I think the Muslim Brotherhood makes up uh, some hundreds of thousands compared to 85 million Egyptians. So you have a big problem there. Uh, Morrissey has a big problem. And just recently, uh, Reverend Leroy, I was given a document by the, by the Libyan tribes stating that Morrissey was directly involved in the planning and executing of the killing of Chris Stevens at the Benghazi. And I can send you that document. It's in Arabic, but it's a formal report from the interior uh, minister in Libya stating that Morrissey and his group were Ansar al-Sharia 
were instrumental in planning, executing, and funding that attack. Mm -hmm. The other part is the Libyan tribes are, will be will be following uh, the Egyptians, and they will be doing the same thing in their country. They're they're so much smaller group. You know, Libya only has about five million, and two million are outside. But they've been planning and working with the tribes forever. And they are absolutely working to, to rid their country of these people, too. And they know it. They know they're threatened. They're, they're planning to start some kind of big military, or not military, big um, al-Qaeda uprising in Tripoli. And the tribes now are working uh, with, all the tribes are working together to, to uh, go against al-Qaeda and basically push them out of all these countries and remove them from power in, and uh, any kind of funding or any kind of uh, weapons. So they're really helping the world, and we need to really support them. Uh, Joanne, Joanne, go back. You said that in Libya you said al-Qaeda uprising. You meant uprising against al-Qaeda. Is that? What, wait, well, what's happening there is al-Qaeda that's there. There's some in Darna, the Darna area in the eastern part. There's some, a whole bunch of them in Misrata, uh, Bel Hajj is in Tripoli. They're gathering their forces together because they know this is coming. Okay. They know that the Libyan people are going to push them out, and the tribes will push them out. So this, that's what I meant. I didn't mean to say that al-Qaeda is having okay. an uprising. What they're doing is gathering their forces together to, to, try, to try to fight the, the Libyans, the, mm -hmm. the tribes of Libya that will push them out of the country. You know, uh, recently, last week, they, uh, the Zentan tribe went into Tripoli and removed the al-Qaeda militias in, in the two of the biggest prisons in Tripoli and released all the people that were held illegally because all they did was support Gaddafi and released mm. them all. And they blew up one of the prisons. So it's it started there. And, and the al-Qaeda groups there are scared. So they're trying to gather together. They're trying to get support from Qatar. They're trying to get support from this administration. Uh, it's It's a dangerous situation for the Libyans, but as they would tell you, if we don't have our home, we don't have our life. It's the, it's their home. Talk about the role of Qatar. Qatar. What are they? Are they independent, or are they a front for elements that uh, can't overtly be seen doing what Qatar is doing? They're the junkyard dog of the world. <laughs> they are absolutely do the bidding of the United States. The biggest military base in the world is in Qatar. It belongs to the United States. Mm. And I can guarantee you, nobody in Qatar could pass gas without the United States knowing about it. Mm. You know, that's crude talk. But, you know, there's nothing that goes on in Qatar that's not blessed, approved, or whatever. And Qatar is the, is the resort center for al-Qaeda. Like these guys that cop chopped off the heads of those three priests in, in Syria on Saturday, they're probably basking in the sun on the beaches in, in Qatar right now. Hmm. So, you know, Qatar is absolutely just as bad, low life as anybody. Taliban were had set up Qatar as their negotiation center. If you remember, just a week or ten oh, days ago, they're going to go right. negotiate with Taliban in Qatar. Right. And Bernard Levy is a big supporter of 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 Qatar. And you know, anytime he shows up in the world, he's a multi multi billionaire from France. 
And when he puts his toe on the ground in any country, about two weeks later, there's going to be a a, revo- a bloody revolution started. But uh, Qatar's bad, folks, and and Qatar has been constantly supporting every activity of of the uh, of the Muslim Brotherhood and Al Qaeda because they get funded through the United States to sometimes Saudi Arabia, then into Qatar, sometimes some someplace else into Qatar. And the travesty that happened in Libya is Libya had two hundred and fifty billion that's with a B billion dollars in cash or cash equivalents in the Federal Reserve System and Euroclear and that money was pulled out and, and delivered into the hands of Al Qaeda via Qatar and Saudi Arabia. So yeah, Qatar is, is and, and you know the the thing is here in the United States we don't know Qatar much, but you know, the guy that was that that was ruler and is ruler right now until his son throws him out. He put his father in jail so he could take over the ruler, the leadership of that country. Now his son's done the same thing to him. He's going to step down instead of going to jail. So, oh, okay. All right. That just happened. They're just fixing Yeah, he's announced he's going to do it. And, his, and after his son said he's going to throw him in jail, he said, well, maybe it's time for my son to take over, you he's know. He's going to step down voluntarily. But, you know, I mean, these are nasty people. These are, you know, there's no, there's no... There's no, yeah, Joanne just said it. There's no milk of human kindness running through their veins at all. These are people that are money grubbers, and, and you know, they'll they'll lie, cheat, steal, sell their mother, anything for money. It's sad. Uh, the, the, when you look at Syria, what, it's in, in the eyes of the general public here, it is, quote, an isolated uh, uh, situation from Libya. It's uh, the people got energy from the overthrow of Libya, so therefore the people rise up. What is the connection of the overthrow of Gaddafi in Libya to Syria? All the al-Qaeda fighters that are in Libya and Muslim Brotherhood fighters that were in Libya, mercenaries, they're now in Qatar. Those frontline people that are trained, they're the hardest fighters and the guys that, that have been in the front lines of, of fighting since Afghanistan. When when uh, NATO blew up enough of Libya where where the second line of Muslim Brotherhood could take over, then they start, they sent those guys to, to Syria. And they were loading boats with arms and everything, and, and Chris Stevens was... He was he funneled all the guns into Libya through Qatar, and then he was funneling all the guns into into Syria, from Qatar to to Libya and then on to Syria, and um, you know that was a real unfortunate situation. But you know when you lie down with a with a dog, you're going to wake up with some fleas, and so Syria is just another same song, another verse of what happened in Libya. And the the it's an economic deal. It doesn't have anything to do with even religion. They make that the the news media uh, acts like it's some uh, religious uprising. It's absolutely not. Syria is about the pipeline, and there's a huge pipeline that's being built in Syria right now, and Russia owns that pipeline, and it's gonna it's a gas pipeline. And when it's completed, Russia will have control over 60% of all the natural gas going into Europe 
And the powers that be just cannot allow Russia to have that much economic influence over uh, Europe. So the easiest way to do it is take over Syria to kill the pipeline. And in effect... So that's... So that's okay, so this is the second pipeline of the, that I've heard of. And when I say that I've heard of, uh, picked up uh, the first pipeline is the pipeline in Afghanistan is a, a pipeline that they were supposed to buy the Taliban off with that famous saying of of uh, either you accept a carpet of gold or a carpet of bombs, something like that. Are you familiar with that, that phrase? Yes, sir. It, it's it's the same thing. You know, the, the thing that is difficult for us, because in the United States, we never get the news. We're We're given an agenda. And we're fed pablum, if you would, by the media. Only things that they want us to know are we told. And so we live in this in this bubble, this protected bubble. You know, we, we in the United States, uh, up until recently, we didn't have to worry about anybody hitting our front door. But now we got to worry about the front door. We never had to worry about what was going on in Washington because we had pretty good lives. In the rest of the world, that was normally not the case. In most of the world, if you call the police because somebody robbed you, there was a good chance that whatever the robbers didn't get, that the police would get. And so, you know, the the people really stayed back, and they were cautious. In the United States, we had freedom. We could do all kinds of things, and, and we didn't worry about it. But what we were told was completely different, and and it wasn't necessarily the truth, but we were being told what the agenda that they wanted us to, to believe. And since our lives were pretty good, you know, well, we didn't we didn't raise too much hell about it, and, and things went forward. The the problem was now with with the internet and all the other social media and everything, it's impossible for these guys that are running the world to to sell us these lies. And then along comes people like Jimmy and Joanne, and we end up as in Libya as in a non governmental organization fact finding commission, and we're eyewitnesses to NATO atrocities that are committed by our government. Mm-hmm. See, a few years ago, that never happened, and then for sure we never talk about it. Well, as you know, the, your audience may not know it, but they've destroyed us. We're targeted individuals, and they're trying to shut us up to keep from telling what we saw in Libya. And, uh, you know, we have we've been financially destroyed and everything, and, and it's because we would modify the agenda. So we're dangerous that people would hear. And it's very, very important that your audience listen to our story. And if if you if we disappear and you can't find us, it's because we've been snatched up. And we would pr- hope and pray that you all would give some calls. Yes, sir. Well, we're going to go to the audience after we do a commercial break. The telephone number audience is 213-943-3673. Three six one eight two one three nine four three three six one eight, and you hit one on your telephone pad to let us know that you have a question for Jim and Joanne. We're talking about the situation in Libya, Egypt, Tunisia, and Syria, and beyond that. Everything is related. We have some announcements. Please pay very close attention to the announcements. Support those who support the Keys 107 Network. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuff shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, back. This is the Keys 107 Network. You share with your friends and relatives the fact that you heard this program. They can access it through the archives by going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Keys 107 and putting in uh, the communicators or respectful life and the date, July 2nd, and they should be able to pick up this program tomorrow, listen to it, and share the information. Being that this information that you're getting this evening is, in most cases, the first time that you've heard this kind of account, then it is incumbent upon you to share the information, even check it out. Now, on the Internet, there is the video of the beheading of the Coptic uh, priests in Syria, and this is by what they call the jihadists. And that's on the Internet, having made uh, the local news pages such as the Daily News, the Post, and the New York Times. I haven't seen it. Uh, you may have seen it, but I haven't seen it. And I do scan the papers. So the fact of the matter is that would seem to have been a very weak point for the elements opposing the Assad government but that has not been played up in the news. Uh, this is the Jim and to Joanne, your response regarding that. This is me, Reverend Leroy. The yes. thing that, that happened, happened in Syria, that's by al-Nusra. Al-Nusra is the al-Qaeda group there being funded and uh, being armed by our government. Uh, there's other governments, you know, uh, Turkey is helping, Libya is helping. Libya is helping not because the Libyans want to, because al-Qaeda is there training and having uh, weapons there. It's al-Qaeda Libyans helping, not not the Libyan people. Belhaj is the main one. Um, 
but it's the same story, a different verse, you know, or the same song, a different verse. There, it, it's exactly what happened in in Libya. There, it's the uh, planned coup d'état, takeover of a country. Um, I wanted to say to your listeners too that in Libya, that one of the things that people don't know or never talk about is what great things Gaddafi did for Africa. He did so many first world activities with Af- Africa. You know, he funded so much there and helped so many countries. But what his greatest achievement was going to be, I believe, was going to be that gold-backed currency for the continent of Africa. He had started the African Bank. And the African Bank, with the African Bank, Gaddafi was leading Africa to complete freedom of all the Western paper bankers. What that would have meant that Africa would have been the leading continent in agriculture, in resources, in everything. That continent would have grown and been developed beautifully and that was his dream but he had that had to stop because the the fed and the euro clear those are paper bankers they couldn't allow that to happen plus western europe wants to control africa always has wanted to control it you know they've broken so many treaties with africa and, and there's so much poverty and and all kinds of problems there and that has to do with the exploitation and the imperialism that has gone on there for hundreds of years so this was, to me, a, a great uh, crime. It was a crime against the whole entire continent of Africa. And you know they had to kill him because if they didn't, if he went into exile, his mouth would have still worked. Mm. So uh, this, is, this is something uh, everybody should know about and should be angry about. Uh, uh, Joanne, share with us again. And and this is from the prior interviews that we've done with you and Jim. Share with us the sheer destruction of Libya that uh, you and your husband witnessed. Okay, I'll flip back and, and talk about that one. Yes. In in Libya, uh, NATO uh, effected sixty thousand bombing raids. Sixty thousand. That was more bombing raids than the entire World War II combined. They they did over a trillion dollars worth of damage to the country. They blew up pipeline, the Great Man Main River. They blew up part of that, and that was a water delivering system for people. They blew up power stations, water treatment plants to desalinate water. Uh, you know, most of Libya is Sahara Desert. Water is is gold there. Uh, they blew up uh, hospitals and schools and school buses and apartments. And uh, one one real heinous deal, there was a beautiful building that was a UNICEF-certified building that had been completely rebuilt. It was an absolutely gorgeous building. And in the bottom of it, it was a long building stretched out of the whole block. It had the the children's center with all its records. It had a... It had a, a um, uh, support facility for men that had amputees and things like that, women that had been abused and battered, had a center for their, their... This whole building was full of nothing but humanitarian activities. And one of the UN sorry guys was in there, and he wanted to see all the records of the children's inoculations and all that. And I've got to tell you, Libya was number one in the world for inoculation of babies pre-care and, and natal care, number four in the world. And they had all these records in the bottom of this building. This guy was in there. He wanted to look at all the records. He was down there. He left the buildings 30 minutes later, 
a bunker buster bomb hit exactly in that room where all the records were destroyed, all of them. So then they could come and lie and say how how retarded the government of Libya was. So mm. the, destruction, the destruction was just heinous. I mean, it was things that that you and I and and your audience and normal people could never abide with. Could never abide with. And uh, you know when you're when you're killing uh, water treatment plants in the desert, who, who are you? You know power mm. plants. When it's so hot in the Sahara Desert that people have to have to have air conditioning to live, and you go blow up a power plant or multiple power plants, who are you? Who are you trying to damage? You're not fighting a war. You're killing people. You're killing innocent people. And 500,000 innocent Libyans were killed by NATO, which is owned and operated by this government. Now, Joanne and I are not... Political activists were not peaceniks. You know, we were bad guys. We were business people, and we were pretty successful business people. We did we did hundreds of millions of dollars worth of business everywhere we went. So, you know, you could point your finger at me and say, oh, look at those sorry people. They're exploiting. But, you know, we always did good work. We've always, always had our own nonprofits and everything, and, and we kept our head down. We did legitimate business. You know, we didn't pay bribes or, or mordita or... Bacchis or Cotto, we didn't do that. You know, we made our, our business stand on its own merits. But we were still big business people. So when thing, when governments did things that were maybe not to our liking, oh, we would go do our nonprofit stuff and our humanitarian stuff, and that kind of justified what we were doing. But when we were in Libya and we saw what our government and the other NATO countries were doing to that country we had no alternative but to step forward and mm. say what we saw. And because of that, we've been destroyed. Joanne and I are now homeless. We've had some neighbors just live next to us. We we lived up until this this month, you know, in a real nice uh, bedroom community mm. north of Houston. And our neighbors came over, and then I, I traded the last gun I had for an old trailer, 72-model wow. pickup bed that... So we can carry some stuff out of here. He said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, we, we're, you know, we're, we got to leave." And he started crying. He said, "My gosh, I never thought it was that bad." And I said, "You know, the government's done this to us." He said, "He said, why did they do that?" And I said, "Because, you know, we saw things we weren't supposed we're, we're to see." So you know, everybody needs to look over their shoulder if if they'll do it to us, and we were really good people, you know. But, you know, God has a, has a plan for us. We don't know why he saved us. But he saved us. He's put us in a position, so we have to follow what he wants us to do. Uh, uh, Jim and Joanne, go through the the three miracles that occurred with you. Hi. I'm, we switched again, Reverend Leroy. Um, okay. we, we were captured by al-Qaeda when NATO came in to Tripoli. They... This war was going on and on and on because the Libyan people, 80-plus, maybe 80 to 90% of them were against this revolution. I would have to say it was up to 95 at the end. Uh, they had a very good life in Libya. Everything was good there for them, and they really didn't want uh, the radical Islamists to take over the country. The reason NATO joined hands with them was because those were the only people they could find that would speak out against the government. So when they decided they were tired of this 
fighting back and forth. They came into Tripoli with their Apache helicopters and mowed people down in the streets. The first hour they killed 1,300 people, and we're absolute witnesses to that. So and these are war crimes, huge war crimes. Eventually they brought in uh, reams, trucks and trucks and trucks of al-Qaeda with armed uh, anti-aircraft weapons on the back of the trucks, riding with their long beards and their AK-47s all through town, breaking into every store, every home, every car, looting, raping, doing whatever they wanted. The one hotel that we were in was an attack, but we had an opportunity to get out. We were, we were offered an opportunity to get on a ship that was being sent, a rescue ship by Malta. The Prime Minister of Malta sent this ship over. We got on. We got onto a van to get onto that ship. We couldn't find the the ship. It had been fired on by the Al Qaeda mercenaries, so it was three miles out. And while in the process of trying to find that ship, we got captured by Al Qaeda, taken to their torture center. They All they had our names on a list. They they take took us to this torture center. They took all our belongings. They they interrogated us. They accused us of all kinds of things. Uh, we. We didn't know it, but at the end of the, we were there quite a long time, a long time, over the night, over the day. Finally, uh, there was an imam that came in there in the Radisson Hotel, and he said something in Arabic. We don't know what it was, and they gave us back our passports and acted like we could leave. They had changed drivers at the hotel. The driver that came to drive the van was a man we knew from the other hotel. We didn't know it at the time, but he had been a rebel. Well, Jimmy was adamant. He said, we're going to go to the rescue ship now. There were seven of us, and we need to go get on the rescue ship. And that man, that that driver, pulled us aside, and he said, what you didn't understand that imam say was that when they go to the rescue ship, they've set up a kill zone two blocks up there, there to kill you, burn you, and chop you up, and blame it on Gaddafi. And that's why they released us. This was a rebel. Absolutely. God touched his heart because he he saved our lives. And we said... We're going back to the hotel, and so we went the other direction, and we missed their kill zone. And Jimmy had to pay all the uh, rebel mercenaries. He had to pay him $2,500 per person, plus not to kill us, and then $1,000 not to burn us. That's what they were getting paid. So that was all the rest of the money that we had on us, and we paid him. Went back to the hotel, and the next day the rebels started coming into our hotel and firing AK-47s in the lobby, and we were all we had to go up to our rooms and lock the doors and... Walter Fontroy was with us. Um, a man came from the IOM ship, which was the UN immigration ship. He was a friend of, of one of the people that was with us, the sister of the president of Mauritania. He was also a rebel, but he said, I would like to spirit you out of here. This is dangerous for you. We're gonna. This ship is going to Benghazi. It's for immigrants, but we're going to put you on the ship. So he he got us onto that ship. He took us in their van. And he went with us, and he walked us through all the checkpoints, and he got us onto the ship and got us – we were two days on that ship to Benghazi, which was really the head of the problem. So we were very scared about that because we knew our name was on a list. We got to Benghazi. He stopped – the. he let everybody else off. All those immigrants had to go to on a bus to an immigration camp on the Egyptian border. He said, we don't want you to do that. We're, we're putting you in the hands of the U.N. guy who took us to a hotel, a nice hotel. And he said, from there, you have to figure out how you can get out of Benghazi. But what saved us was all the rebels were in Tripoli fighting. Mm. They were still looking for us in Tripoli, and there was no communication between Benghazi and Tripoli at this time. So they mm. didn't know who we were in Benghazi yet. This is another mm. miracle. This, 
we had many miracles. And the the head, the third uh, guy down in the uh, National Transitional Council heard we were in this hotel, and he came to meet us to see who we were. And when he saw that we were we hadn't eaten for four days and that we were uh, decent-looking people, he bought us a meal. It was Ramadan, and when uh, breakfast came, he bought us a meal, and he said he would uh, do his best to get us out of there, and he put us on a a plane that was taking wounded people to Tunisia that night at 2 a.m. in the morning, and we got on that plane and got out. That was our third miracle. Hmm. And and, uh, going back, when they captured you the first time, they took you to a torture center, and then back to a hotel? No, no, no. The the torture center was the hotel. That was the Mahari Hotel. They took it over, and it didn't have electricity, but they were using that as their torture center. They took over everything, but that hotel, if you didn't know it, you wouldn't know anything bad was going on in there because it was, it, the lights were off and everything, but they were dragging in these poor wounded Libyan soldiers bleeding every place and drag them over to the stairs, up to the elevator, and then they take them up to the mezzanine, and we could hear everything was going on there. It was it was blood-curdling yells, and we don't know what they were doing to them. We couldn't see them. But yeah. Yeah. On and, uh, and on. Talk about the, uh, because we, we only have a few more minutes, uh, telephone number 213. 213- Nine four three three six one eight two one three nine four three three six one eight. You're welcome to join in the conversation. Ask Jim and Joanne any questions relating to our subject matter: Libya, Tunisia, Egypt, and Syria, and the situation going on in all of those, and of course the slaughter and the genocide of of black Libyans and also Africans who were working there. The Walter Font. Roy uh, story. Uh, share that with us again. It was real funny. There, there's uh, we knew who Walter was, but we'd never met him. And uh, in in that hotel, the the it was a six star hotel, and we'd been in that hotel, you know, for months. And after they evacuated the people out of the Rexus Hotel, that was the hotel where all the newspaper reporters, media, and everybody stayed. And then that hotel was overrun by, first of all, the the rebels, and then the Libyan people took it back. And uh, the Libyan people wanted to kill all the reporters because they'd been lying forever. And then uh, the, when the Libyan army would get back and take it over, uh, you know, then the rebels would try to take it over. And the, the long and short was all these reporters were in danger of getting killed by one side or the other. There were about seven reporters that were that were telling the truth and there were thirty that were lying. And the the reporters, the bad reporters, and this is CNN people, I mean the CNN report he saw on the news every night, she was there with a knife threatening to kill everybody. And uh so in order to save the lives of all those people, Walter Fontroy got them all on their knees, these thirty bad guys bad reporters and the seven good ones, he got them on their knees, and if any any Libyan soldiers came in, he'd get them on their knees, and if, if any uh, al-Qaeda came in, he'd get them on their knees, and he kept them on their knees for five days and prayed them all to the point that they weren't going to kill anybody. He saved those 40 or 50 people himself. Mm. And when we saw him, we didn't know that about him until he, he got over there, but he got to our hotel and I heard somebody speaking American English. I went over there, 
you know, Walter, he's a little short, diminutive guy, big smile. And uh, I went over to introduce myself to him, and he said, oh, you're Jimmy and your wife is Joanne. He said, I'm here to save your life. I've heard about you from the State Department. <laughs> wow. But uh, the, the rest of the story about him, he was in there. It was announced that he had been killed in Libya. And the right. reason for that, have you got time to tell this? Sure. Yeah, yeah. The, li- the reason he was in Libya was trying to bring peace. And the the powers that be here did not want that to happen under any circumstances. And so they sent over some assassins to kill him. And Walter these were, were US guys and they were down in the in the gym exercising every day and he went down there to talk to them and, and he got to know them and after about five or six days they told him, they said, uh, Reverend Fontroy you know, we've got to tell you that we were sent here to kill you, but we've gotten to know you, and you're a fine man, and so we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, execute the command that we've been given. Mm. And and when Walter told us that, you know, this is another one of those things where your chin hits your chest. Could not yeah. believe it because here's a good man. He took over Martin Luther King's position, started the Black Caucus, first congressman elected in the in Washington D.C. A good man. Mm. Hmm. Now, now he's a marked person now, uh, and I put that in quotes. Yes, sir. He's he's living in exile. He's in somewhere. You know, we hear from him quite often. You know, and he's still trying to to help. You know, and and uh, it just it's it's just sad. You know, and Walter's a good man. Walter is a very very good man. He's a man of God. He is responsible that we know of of saving people with his own. Will with the with the will of God and the strength of God, He saved those forty people. And um, the this marked person would prevent him from speaking out, or be a block or a challenge to his speaking out. Is that what I'm hearing? I it's got to be. You know, I mean, how in the world? How in the world could anybody? You know, he was a real close friend with Desmond Tutu and and. Uh, Nelson Mandela and all those guys. He was. He was. He's a. He has been internationally a real positive influence for the blacks in America. And he's just a good man. And you know, how could anybody uh, try to silence him? You know, he's. Uh, I don't know. You try to explain that to me. Okay. Uh, let's go through uh, uh, a menu of of areas and elements. And uh, if you know anything about it. Uh, you can share if you don't, no big thing. When one hears about the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda, in some venues they talk about these being the creation of of British intelligence, of American intelligence uh, agencies. What might be your response? I believe that's true. I don't have any proof. I haven't seen any documents, you know, but the... The the fact is, if they're not a creation of them, then they're they're being used. They work for them. You know, every time the some dirty deed needs to be done, those guys that do it. And uh, so, you know. And and in terms of the elements involved in when when one talks about the destruction in Libya, one talks one hears the the man-made river. The the uh, in the 
prior interview, you mentioned the acres of date, the date industry. Just just go through some of that in the condos, etc. Okay. Just just go through that. The government was building 650,000 new condominiums for the people of Libya. There were 2,000 to 2,700 square feet each. They were building them all over the country, every part of Libya. Uh, a lot of those were destroyed. The great man-made river has said to be the eighth wonder of the world, and that was going to be Gaddafi's legacy to Libya. And it was going to bring water to the Sahara and... and uh, a huge deal, and it was it was it was going to be a reality. It it's bringing agriculture and and all these things. Uh, a lot of that was blown up. You cannot excuse that ever. In the Sabah area, which is a real prominent agricultural area for blacks, south of of of, of Tripoli, near the the uh, border with with uh, Niger, they they blew up. 20,000 date palm trees. Now, date palm takes years to grow and start to produce fruit, and they're very profitable, but 20,000 of them. They kill cattle and sheep and things. These were were in direct uh, attacks on civilians. Mm. And I can go on mm. and on and on. The hospitals and clinics and universities, there's one university, Al-Fatah University, they bombed it three or four times. They'd bomb it, and the, and the teachers and students would go back again, and they'd bomb it again. Hmm. So, and, you know. And, and what is, how do the, the tribes of Libya describe the living conditions in Libya, or, you know, the different parts of Libya now? Because this is not being reported on, and I, I, I interject this, that, during the in NATO invasions, they had all these nice reporters for the various news agencies reporting back on uh, being embedded with the rebels. And, and uh, you, you just heard these nice reports. And I say nice because it didn't talk about any anything that you're talking about now. What do the Libyan, the tribes of Libya describe as the living conditions in Tripoli and the Benghazis and, and the other areas? Nobody goes out anywhere in Libya after 6 o'clock. If you go out, you're going to be raped, robbed, murdered, whatever. It is total anarchy. No security anywhere. No government at all. The government has to meet in secret, and the only laws they're allowed to pass are laws that al-Qaeda, if you would, hands them, and they do it at gunpoint. So it's it's like the United States in the old West days, you know, where these gangs full of armed robbers would come into a town and kill everybody and take what they wanted and ride back out. That's Libya. And they call these groups militias, and they keep trying to credit them as being Libyan. No, they're not. There's 250,000 mercenaries, paid mercenaries in Libya. They're running the country. There are some young Libyans that got to like the the alcohol and cocaine and stuff that NATO brought in and and gave them and convicted them and convinced them that that's that's the life. There's some of those, but I can tell you, all those men, all those young men that joined up with these guys have been have been disowned by their families, and they will never ever be able to to return to Libya in any kind of life. 
And mm. the, the difference in Libya and other countries is there was a very, very small population. There was only five and a half million. We killed a half million of them in, the, in this conflict. Two million of them are living in exile. So the 250,000 hardcore radical Islamists can do a pretty good job of controlling the population since they're the only ones with guns. And the Libyans are, are not trained fighters. So this is the, this is why it was a planned event, and if you if you go against those Al Qaeda guys, they kill you, and they'll kill your family, and they'll they'll take your wife, drag her out of the car, and rape her, and kill her in front of your eyes, and then and then kill you for watching them. The, I mean, these are not human beings; these are lower than animals because an animal only kills what it wants to eat. No, no, these are, you know, and Libya is total anarchy, and the tribes. They cry. They're they're in exile because there's a there's a death threat. They're all on a list that that pays a high price when they're killed by one of these Al Qaeda guys. And uh, again, don't call them just Al Qaeda. It's Ansar Al Sharia. It's Libyan fighting group. It's it's uh, John Juan, whatever you know, any name. But when they act like a Al Qaeda and they walk like an Al Qaeda and they cut your head off, it's got to be something Al Qaeda. <laughs> As, as our Libyan tribal leaders would tell you, these, these people are not Muslims. They do not consider them Muslims. They said these are not Muslims. These are terrorists. These are, uh, are psychopaths. He said they, Muslims don't uh, drink and cut people's heads off and do this kind of stuff. He said they, they claim to be Muslims. This is, their, this is their excuse. They change their names all the time. They, they confuse people this way. But he said don't be confused. They're all the same. They're all extremists, and they have no uh, they have no moral line. All they're looking for is their power and their money and their weapons. And the 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 thing about Libya is, you know, there's two major camps there where they train uh, these radicals, and they've moved them across North Africa into Mali, into Algeria, and the United States, and and into the United States, and it's. It's something that all the people in the United States and the world need to pay attention to because you can't put a country like Libya that's very wealthy into the hands of radical uh, terrorists. Now they have money. Now they have weapons. They have ports. They have whatever they want. And Belhaj, who was in Guantanamo, his name is Abdul Hakim Belhaj, NATO and the United States joined hands with him in the takeover of Libya. They know him very well. They know he's he was fighting in Afghanistan with the Taliban, with Al-Qaeda, they put him in charge of security in Tripoli, and he made a statement after they killed the the ambassador. He came out and made a public statement in Libya on the radio, and he said, this is our country. We own it. We are Sharia law. We control everything here. We have mass weapons of, of terrible weapons of mass destruction, and we will use them. There are no Westerners welcome here, and they never will be again. And this is he he went through a whole statement that he said. And this hasn't even been published over here except W and D World Net Daily put it out, Dr. Jerome Corsi. But you know, these are things that you have to pay attention to because they they tell you what they're going to do. They love to brag. The the element of destruction in Libya, the bombing of these particular uh, areas of of agriculture of water treatment plants, of universities, things that house the infrastructure of the nation, that which would provide a future for them, would 
it looks beyond, and, and given the the fact that Libya had no air force to defend against, they they were the no fly zone, all that stuff. So it was it was a duck shoot, shooting ducks in the park. Absolutely, absolutely. Go ahead. It's, it's go ahead. worse. It's worse than you can imagine. Absolutely worse than you can imagine. Because if they had even tried to fight back, then they would have gone ten times worse. They used uh, weapons of mass destruction there. They NATO dropped I don't know how many uh, fuel, air fuel, fuel air explosives there, which is the poor man's nuclear bomb. They dropped it on Seert and Ben Walid. They destroyed Seert. I mean, uh, and. It, the Gaddafi tribe lived in Syria, 300,000 of them. That didn't mean they were all uh, wow. r- rulers of the country. It's just a tribe. Wow. But they absolutely destroyed that place. And, uh, you know, these are war crimes. These, this is against the Geneva Convention completely. Why we can't get this word out, it's just, it's, it, it's for us, we can't stop talking about it because if you're witness to something like this, if you see babies blown up and... Uh, soldiers chopped up with knives and executed like uh, execution style with their hands tied behind their back, just shot in the head. If, if you witness these things, you don't sleep very well anymore. You you lose a lot of faith in your fellow man. You know, you start thinking, uh, what is going on with these people? What leaders could, what, what leaders could ever do these things? And, you know, I want to talk about Taraga a little bit. It's a town about 20 miles, 25 miles kind of south west of Misrata and it was yeah there there are five towns like this there they were all black they came from the people there were were uh held over from the the slave days in the uh, maybe 150 uh, 175 years ago and until Gaddafi took over they lived there but they lived in uh absolute poverty like all the Libyans did the Libyans were basically slaves to the Italians or to anybody else who who ran their country or owned their country when they had the bloodless coup, when, when the Levin people took over the country and Gaddafi was appointed the, the leader, he emancipated everybody. He made everybody equal citizens. He gave the land to the people who were working it for the Italians. He gave it to the Libyans. The first time in the history of their country they owned their own land. He did this for everybody, race, color, or creed. He didn't care. And the Tarwaga people built a beautiful city and had beautiful agriculture. They were they were a complete success story. Uh, great farmers, great dairy farmers. Uh, they grew dates, poultry, poultry everything. They are a major, were under a major attack by the Mizrata tribes. That's Al-Qaeda, those people who wanted to, they said, cleanse Libya. They have burned the entire village, town, whatever. It's on the ground. There's nothing left there. All those people are homeless, and more than half of them have been killed. And many, mm. many of them are in prison. And, and they, five, they, five they, all they ask is, please, for humanitarian intervention, that they could go home. The humanitarian no, intervention no, no. step forward. The no, leader, no. Uh, Prime Minister uh, Ali, what's his name? Zidane. No, Sharif. Ali, uh, Ali, no, Ali Zidane. He, he is a Muslim Brotherhood, appointed by Belhaj, actually. The other guy quit. He refused. He said, "No, we're not going to allow them to have their land back." But this is this, this is, is out. Recently. This, this is just recently, in the last two weeks. They're homeless. You know, they're living in um, homes made out of. If they you look like at them, cages. they look like cages. Yeah, they, they try PVC and things. They they have no place to go. Wow. I mean, this, 
this is this is absolutely the worst uh, atrocity against humanity you can imagine that's going on there. And the U.S. supports these guys. The U.S. supports that government. government. The U.S. touts that government. The Libyan success story. Mm. And these, you know, this is this is a part that's been real hard for us. We've mm. tried, you know, we tried with uh, to get into. Farrakhan's office many, many, many times to get him to speak up about this. He was a friend of Gaddafi's. Gaddafi funded a lot of money to him. We tried to get him to do something about it. I won't mention all the other black politicians and everybody. We said, you know, you all have got to do something about this because, you know, there's nobody crying for these people. There's nobody else. These are good people. And they're they're not just not just being beaten, they're being chopped up, murdered, beaten until they're almost mass dead. Graves. Mass graves that, you know, with with thousands of bodies in them. And this happens and happens and happens and when the when the human rights people go in there and they tell the government of Libya who we're supporting so much, you know, you got to you got to do better on these people. You have got to let them back in their homes and the leader of the country says not ever. Mm. And how could anybody in in your community, which is our community, let me tell you, we all, we all better forget what color we are and start looking at our hearts. Because the, the community of human beings had better start standing up together. And and uh, don't be throwing uh, racial slurs at anybody else, whatever, because those don't count. The people, us, the good people of the world, had better start standing up. Reverend Leroy, I hope your audience doesn't think we're crazy and a bunch of nuts. But, you know, we've been affected so much. Our lives have been changed. And uh, the thing that we need your people to understand, who are our people, is that we all have to live together and we have to figure out how to take care of each other because there are huge forces that are working day and night to ruin us all. Amen. Jim and Joanne, give the website where people can go to and and um, if they can help and assist you. Well, let me tell you what's happened on that. Nevada stepped forward and killed our raffle. I'll say that again. Nevada, the state of Nevada, stepped forward. We've been a good standing nonprofit. Oh, 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 interesting. And they killed our raffle. They can donate to us, but, you know, at, at that website, AITNV.com or AIT at gmail.com with, with uh, um, PayPal. No, it's AITrust. Pardon me. AITrust at gmail.com is the PayPal account, and they can donate to us. But, you know, I mean, uh, Here's a link on that well, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I mean, they've got us beat up so bad that... Uh, you know, it's it's real hard. They're coming at us from all directions, the landlord, everybody. Yeah. It's um, real hard. It's hard for me to talk about it. Just, just 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 give the website slowly where people can donate, et cetera. Okay. The what website is uh and that's T like Tom and then N V for Nevada, Nancy Victor dot com. So it's A I T N V dot com. And there's a place there's a place. Pardon me? 
No, you you were going to say that something. Oh, I was. I said there's a there's a button there you can donate, uh, and and what we're using that for is to survive, but also to continue our work to get this word out. It's very important that the people understand what's happening over there. Libya, first of all, is an ancient, ancient culture, and it's a unique culture in the world. Because it's been so closed out from the rest of the world, the Libyan people are very unique in their own culture. It's it's not something that uh, should ever be wiped off the face of the earth. Those people have done nothing to anybody. Libya never attacked anybody. But the thing they need to remember more than anything is that uh, the Libyans and now the Egyptians and soon to be the Tunisians are the only people in the world fighting Al-Qaeda. They're the only ones. And in the United States, we better learn from the Libyans how to recognize who Al-Qaeda is. And your your audience, I hope they understand that if if the government can destroy Joanne and me like they have, they can destroy anybody because we never did anything wrong. We were good folks. They have literally destroyed us. We are good folks. But if they can destroy us, then everybody needs to be looking over their shoulder because it's it's it. You know, if you do you do anything that they don't like, they don't big even brother. they don't even need a reason. But I have to tell you something that you can use. The Libyans call these people. If you ask them, are they part of Ansar al Sharia? Are they part of uh, Libyan Islamic Fighting Group? Who are they part of? The response is always, it doesn't matter what their name is. They're all rubbish people. That's mm. the thing. Rubbish people. In other words, they need to be put in the trash. Mm. That's that's their mm. saying for them, you know, that because they don't they don't uh, respect God, they don't respect any humanity, they don't respect anything. And if anybody's got somebody needs to work for them. We're ready. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're we're happy to go to work for anybody. We have a lot of talent. Jim and Joanne, I want to thank you very, very much for standing up and representing the good of the world. The good well, it's of our the world. Thank you so much, Reverend Leroy. And we, um, we will endeavor to get this out as far as we can beyond this this particular audience this evening and uh, have you back on the Sunday show soon okay. and uh, continue our dialogue so that the, the because in this is, these interviews that I've had with you are profound, yet when you turn on the radio, it's as though what you said doesn't exist, and, and it's only because we have access to alternative voices that we know that there's several sides to the story, and we thank you both for sharing so that we can have a proper perspective on what's going on, what we're not hearing, as well as what we're hearing. Yes, and always remember, your listeners should remember this too, that there is a battle waged, and we are all engaged in that battle whether they know it or not. It will come to their door if they're not careful. So being educated mm-hmm. and, and being informed is very important. Yes, ma'am. Jim and Joanne, thank you very much. May God continue to bless you, watch over you, bless you and your family. Thank you so much, Reverend Leroy. Leroy same to you. God bless you, please. Good night. Good night. Good night.
ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, once again, share this information that you have gotten. And uh, folks who did not hear this program can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys 107, and they put in the communicators or respect for life. The date is July 2nd, and they'll be able to hear this discussion. It's important that you beam information out to your people, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, whatever, whatever, whatever. Get the information out there. Research the information. In fact, don't believe anything that you hear. Do your research. And uh, when you turn on certain stations, you can hear, in light of what you heard today, you can hear what people are not saying. You say, well, hey, you know, I heard this piece over here. So it's important. The dumbing down of America is the numbing down of America. The dumbing down of America is also the numbing down of America. Do not get used to being told lies. Do not be used to seeing brutality and atrocities and not saying anything about it. At least tell your children and explain it to them. May God continue to bless each and every Brother one of Leroy. you. Brother, Brother yes, before you end, before you end the show, I want to ask you a question real quick. Yes, sir. About the subject matter about the subject matter that you just um had on your on the show. Those people they seem to have a, a lot of um very important information that could be used um in a lot of different ways to inform people. Like you just said, don't don't accept anything. They they have first hand knowledge of some very serious events. How is it possible that they are in such a, a desolate situation like they are with such valuable resources that can be used towards education or, you know, any any that there's a lot of people out there looking to um do right by the people who they have seen affected in so many different ways. Why why are they not how is it it seems to be a contradiction if they have had such a a business background, how could they be in a position where they are, quote, losing everything? Is that what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. Well, I'll use an analogy and in a general way. There are individuals who were in the the uh, baseball, the, the brother who, who wanted to... Um, is a brother who started free agency by refusing to uh, sign a contract or be traded, and he objected to it, and he wound up losing. I can't tell you the brother's name. I just have it in my brain, and I'll explain the principle after I share this. He's a baseball player, and I believe he was on the Cincinnati Reds, and he refused to be traded or something like that, and they froze him out. But as a result of his case, it led to what we hear today as free agency, so that after mm-hmm. a contract ends, free agency is up there, and the bidding is is um, is as high as it can go, and they put restrictions on how high it can go with the salary cap and this salary cap and that. But... The fact of the matter is it was a black guy who stood up and he lost uh, economically. Oh. But he gained he gained from the standpoint of his spirit, but he was not rewarded. And the sad thing about his case is that 
those who benefited from it don't even know the man, or if they huh. did know about the man, they wouldn't even send him $2,000, $3,000, whatever the situation is. I don't mm-hmm. know what he's so about right now. But that's how free agency started, by a black mm-hmm. man standing up. Now, the principle that is existing is that when you're in a particular orbit, his orbit was baseball. Their orbit was mm-hmm. the business they're doing. So when you're frozen out of your particular, your respective areas, it takes a quantum mm-hmm. leap to move from baseball to begin a singing career or to move from mm-hmm. the business mm-hmm. to begin uh, a, a career in marketing dolls, for example. So mm-hmm. they have the acumen, but they have been thwarted in the orbit or the zone that they have been coming up in. It takes it's difficult to make a transition to another area. Also it's difficult to make a transition when you don't have any money. So someone mm-hmm. someone has to help the person trans transition because the the principles of business are universal. You can take the principles that you use in a bakery and apply them to a soap factory or or vice versa. Okay, you take the principles of doing business in one area and transfer it to another, but you have to have the ease of mind to do it, and the ease of mind to do it is economics or esoterically getting into meditation and rising above and beyond the condition that you're in, but it takes a quantum leap. So, yes, these people can be destitute the same way a sports figure can be found to be destitute if he stands up. Um, uh, Muhammad Ali, they froze him out for how many years? Five years, because he refused to fight in a war based on what he said. He, you know, he conscientious his objectives. So he said, "All right, Negro, you're not going to work. You're not going to work." And therefore, you had the five-year span of Muhammad Ali not being, I believe, it was five years not being in the ring. Now, he had other options, but in his blood was the fighting spirit that he demonstrated when he got back in the ring, and the rest is history. But they froze him out. So there are many, many examples. There are many examples. You say, hey, man, you can, Muhammad Ali, you can talk. You can go on the speaking circuit, which he did, but he was a fighter. So he reverted back to that after the... uh, the uh, Supreme Court ruling in his favor. So what you ask is real, but when you look around, there are many, many other stories like this. So the way they survive, the way they live, is to get the information out. And the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge is the mind of the oppressed. And today, maybe a huge portion of America's population's is in danger of being information oppressed, not getting the information yeah. that they can make decisions on. So right in your own family, right in one's own family, you can bring information that's true. You can bring people to the microphone who is telling the truth, but because they did not see it on CNN, NBC, ABC, New York Times, Daily Post, uh, Chicago Tribune, uh, these people got to be lying. Well, that person got to be lying. I, yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. No, that's that's real. 
when you share this information, you share this information with some of the people, some of the people that are going to be interested, and they're going back to talking about who got drafted and who got free agency, uh, what team is going to be better in the basketball season next year. And then you're going to have people who say, um, I don't care what you say, um, um, I'm, I'm, I believe the World Trade Center came down the way they said it came down. I believe the passenger plane hit the Pentagon, and I don't care that no engines or no tail end section is found on the lawn. I don't care. I believe it. <laughs> and you're a radical. I'm going to report you. And this, this is what we're living in. So that's my answer, brother. I'm not saying that. Check out my answers. Don't believe anything. That no, that was, <laughs> that, that was great. That was great. And actually, that was great. And actually, the uh, the gentleman who you spoke about, named from the from the MLB, the Major League Baseball, was Kurt Floyd, and that was the St. Louis Cardinals in 1969. Okay, there you go. There you All go. right, Brother James Kurt has a question. Hold on one second. He, his, his mic is live. Thank you, brothers. Uh, great show, Brother Leroy, and uh, just love to see that this information is getting out. But to, to that question that um, Anthony had posed, one of the simplest ways of looking at how they can go from being on top of the hill, making major moves in business, and then falling all the way down into the valley is simply this. The IRS does control, uh, has major control in taking down mega million enterprises uh, with their ability to shut you down. And the same is true for the major banking institutions that uh, give you the line of credit so that so you can purchase the, uh, the equipment, the raw materials you need to produce whatever products or move your services forward. And if that took place, that's all that really was needed to to bring about um, the demise and um, and Joanne's um, and Jim's uh, financial situation. So it's not really that difficult if. If truly the government is up, you are up against the government. They have that ability. That's no question. It's it's been out there for years. Um, many people have faced the wrath of the beast. So um, not difficult to really understand why they can be on top of the hill one day and in the valley in the next. Yeah, it, it to thine own self be true, and uh, it's a test. There are other people that know what they know, and we're not hearing from them. Uh, and not necessarily that they would come through the Keys 107, but you don't see anything being said. And um, so they, as as they say, when you see when you see the atrocities, do you keep quiet? <laughs> you know how to how, how do you live with that? And that's it's, another it's thing. Of, uh, well, the, 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 it's borne out by this this situation of post traumatic. Uh, uh, stress disorder, which many of the military are coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq with, and uh, they 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 have they have seen things, and but what we're not hearing about it. Uh, well, there's one family. factor, one factor, brother. Um, you got to look at it from the fact, the fear factor. Um, yeah. Maybe some don't know exactly what they're looking at. They haven't really uh, defined the enemy, but. Um, when that enemy starts breathing down your neck and identifies himself and tells you exactly what they're going to do, 
then the fear factor kicks in, and most people, like, they have three alternatives. They can run, fight, or, uh, you know, or freeze up, you know. And um, these people have, uh, the first thing they ran, now they're ready to fight. So, um, but not everybody's going to do that. Not everybody's reaction is not going to be the same. So um, this is a very interesting topic, Madam Brother, so I'm glad that you keep bringing it to light. Yeah. Let me let me just uh, make an announcement before we leave out here for the uh, folks who are in the New York area. Dick Gregory, Dick Gregory is going to be at Moss Number Seven, which is in Harlem, on July 27th. It's a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Dick Gregory will be in Harlem Saturday, July 27th. Brought into New York by the FOI, Dick Gregory in Harlem. And information, information in the cost of tickets, call 347-928-6441, 347-928-6441, or email me, Brother Leroy, at Leroy, L-E-R-O-Y, B as in boy, T as in Tom, M as in Mary, Leroy, B-T-M, at msn.com. It's a fundraiser. It's going to be a great evening. Dick Gregory going through current events and also his experience with Malcolm X, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He would he talks about how he's, he had sessions with these two at different times and his overall knowledge of, of uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Michael Jackson, he'll answer questions and whatnot. It's going to be a dynamite evening. So it's a fundraiser, 347-928-6441. And very, very important, ladies and gentlemen in the audience, is your purchase of the Final Call newspaper. This is where you're going to find stories and coverage of events, people, places, and things that you're not going to find in your local so-called mainstream papers, support the Final Call newspaper, and you're supporting a black business, but you're also supporting the flow of information nationally within the black community and internationally. So those are some announcements I want to thank Sister Rafika, Brother James, Brother Anthony, and the others of the Keys 107 Network for making the communicator program possible over the Keys 107 Network. May Allah bless us all. God bless you. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to the Communicators on the Keys 107 Network. Join our Facebook group page, The Keys, opening doors to endless possibilities. Follow us on Twitter at The Keys 107 and email us with suggestions or questions at Suggestion at sign the keys one oh seven network dot com and don't forget to visit our webpage the keys one oh seven network dot com. If the keys one oh seven network isn't on your blog talk radio, then your blog talk radio isn't really on. Keys 107 and the FOI Board of Directors is proud to present The Final Call. The Final Call is the country's unique leading source for news. 
founded by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan, National Representative of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam. The final call follows in the tradition of Muhammad Speaks with hard-hitting national and international news and coverage of political issues. It is the official communications organ of the Nation of Islam. Founded in the 1930s as the final call to Islam, the newspaper evolved into Muhammad Speaks in the 1960s and boasted a circulation of 900,000 a week with monthly circulation of 2.5 million. Today, the Final Call newspaper serves a readership of diverse economic and educational backgrounds, including circulation in North America, Europe, Africa, and the Caribbean. Read the Final Call newspaper. You can find one of the beautifully bow-tied representatives in your community or read FinalCall.com. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Boom 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Boom 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Communicator with your host, Brother Leroy. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 